sermon text for this morning is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. This morning we are going to focus especially on uh, verse 6 of this passage. And we read, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of this grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. As some of you uh, know, I worked as a carpenter in college and uh, during seminary. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, that line of work. Uh, there is something uh, rewarding about uh, building something with your hands and then at the end of the day being able to stand back and, and look at it and say, hey, you know, I, I built that uh, actually a really satisfying uh, feeling. Sometimes, you know, working from blueprints or from sketches, and, and you get to build something from the ground up. Uh, it is uh, very satisfying. But some of the projects uh, I worked on didn't involve me starting from scratch, but it often involved uh, finishing what somebody else had started. And, you know, this is what usually what happened is, what happened is a couple would watch uh, like a do-it-yourself home remodel show, and um, they would say something like, hey, it looks really easy to remodel our kitchen or to remodel our bathroom. Uh, They can do it on TV, and look how easy it looks, right? We should be able to do it. And so it's usually, you know, it would start as a weekend uh, project, and uh, it's usually started off with a lot of energy, a lot of hope, but uh, as the project would become more complex and it would take more and more time, they uh, would usually uh, call us or uh, call me specifically to finish what they had uh, started. In fact, I remember one time one woman uh, told me when I went to her house uh, to give her a quote, she said, you know, my husband was too embarrassed to be here to meet you because uh, he couldn't finish this a project on his own. You know, many of us have such unfinished uh, work in our lives. Uh, it might be something like this. It's a, it might be a project uh, that you started that you haven't yet gone around to completing. Uh, it might be a, a degree at school that you haven't yet gotten around to completing. Uh, in fact, when I started at Westminster in Philadelphia this year, my professor told me that they completely reworked the whole doctoral program because they were having an issue with people starting the degree and, and not completing it. Right? And so they want to now help people, help um, <clears throat> those who are part of the program to actually finish the program. See, many of us have 
unfinished work in our lives. And, you know, it's all a part of being human, right? of, of being finite, of having uh, limitations in our time, limitations in our energy, even in our finances. But, loved ones, we need to understand that God is not like us. God always finishes what he starts. And I want us to to see that as we consider this passage this morning, uh, looking especially at the central verse, verse 6, where Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So I want us to consider first the fact that God began this work. And to begin by asking then, what is the work that God began in the believers in the church in Philippi? What's Paul referring to? Loved ones, he is referring to the same work that he began in you and me and in all those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul is referring here to God's work of salvation, his work of saving you and me. It is the entire work of salvation. Uh, The work that began before creation, when we read in the scriptures that he chose us in Christ, and then at a point in time in history, he regenerated us by his Holy Spirit. He gave us new life. We were born again, born not of flesh and blood, but born of the Spirit. And we see in this this passage that it's referring to this work that began by the Spirit in you and me, this work of salvation. And there is this wonderful connection between this verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and the story of creation from Genesis chapter 1. Because in Genesis chapter 1, God's activity in creation is is described as a good work throughout the chapter. There's this beautiful refrain. It's a repeated phrase that after God began his days of creation, as we read in Genesis 1, we see this repeated refrain, and God saw that it was good. After he separated the waters from the land, making seas and continents. We read in Genesis 1, verse 10, and God saw that it was good. And then he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And verse 18, God saw that it was good. And this phrase is repeated again in Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, and then verse 25, and verse 31, after each of the remaining days of creation. See, all of this is to show us, to show you and me that everything that God creates is good, that everything that comes into being by his sovereign decree is good. And God says that the work of salvation, then, that he began in you and me is also good. See, it is a work that pleases him. And that brings him glory. Consider even uh, the picture in creation 
there in Genesis 1 where we read in verse 2 that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Holy Spirit is described as hovering over this lifeless planet, right? This lifeless creation. And his presence there means that he will soon bring forth life. We know from the Bible that the person of the Holy Spirit is the one who gives life. And so in the same way, When you and I were brought from death in Adam to life in Christ, it was by the Holy Spirit. See, he, in a sense, he was hovering over us. He was hovering over that primordial deep. He was hovering over us, bringing spiritual life where there had been only spiritual death. This is what Jesus explained to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who came to Jesus one night, and Jesus told Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless the Spirit grants somebody life, Nicodemus, unless the Spirit grants them the new birth, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. And we know that Nicodemus was really confused about what Jesus was telling him. He even asked, how can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus was trying to understand the physiology of what the Lord Jesus was telling him. And then it was explained in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, what Jesus explained to Nicodemus is that it is God, the Holy Spirit, who regenerates, who brings about the new birth and spiritual life. He makes us new creations in Christ Jesus. Again, in the same way that he hovered over the waters and brought life to a lifeless planet. He hovered over us and he brought us spiritual life where there was only uh, spiritual death. And this, this work of creation, we might even say this work of recreation or rebirth, we read here in Philippians chapter 1 that it is a good work. It's the way that Paul explains it. It is a work that is pleasing to God and that glorifies him. See, the emphasis for Paul here in this verse is on God's sovereignty, on God's sovereignty in beginning the work of salvation in us. You and I uh, did not begin this good work. As loved ones, in the same way that you and I were not present at the creation of the world, when the Spirit hovered over the waters and brought life, you and I had no say in our rebirth. It was accomplished by God's sovereign spirit. There's this uh, saying that you might hear in Reformed churches uh, that we had as much to do with our second birth 
as we did with our first birth. We can say that in a different way as well, that we had as much to do with our recreation as we did with our original creation there in Genesis chapter 1. And, you know, there were those in the church in Philippi, Christians to whom Paul was writing. There were those in the church who no doubt understood what Paul was referring to. We read last Sunday from Acts chapter 16. It's a chapter that describes how the church in Philippi began. And we learned in that chapter about Lydia and how the Lord sovereignly worked by his spirit to regenerate her, to give her new spiritual life. She received what is known as the effectual call from God. We read in Acts 16, as Paul was sharing the gospel with Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is the description of of the effectual call. That God, by his Holy Spirit, sovereignly worked in Lydia's heart to grant her saving faith. And she and her whole household, her family, they were then baptized. And her house eventually became the gathering place for the Christians in Philippi. This is the good work that God had begun in Lydia's life. And the Lord also worked in the same way to draw the Philippian jailer to himself. We read in Acts 16 that when the Philippian jailer saw what had happened, he asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, he wasn't asking merely out of curiosity. He was asking out of desperation as he was cut to the heart and he realized at that very moment his need for salvation. And we know that this Philippian jailer came to faith, and he and his whole household were baptized. Now, some of our conversion stories this morning, as we are gathered here, you know, some of our conversion stories might not be as dramatic as these. But we need to understand, loved ones, that They are no less supernatural. They are no less extraordinary. Now, young people, some of you were baptized in this church as children. You received the sign and seal before many of you even knew how to speak. And you received the sign and seal of baptism, and then you were raised in a godly home. You were brought to church by your parents. You were taught in Sunday school. You sat here in worship of God, lifting up songs, learning how to sing, how to pray, hearing the preaching. And then you professed faith in the Lord Jesus. And you know, if you're telling the story to somebody, it might all seem pretty ordinary, pretty common. But I want to underline the fact this morning that it's still an extraordinary, supernatural work of the Spirit that took place in your whole being. That was the effectual call that you received, the call that Lydia received and the call that the Philippian 
jailer received. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 10, explains the supernatural work of God. When it says, in this effectual call, this is what God does. This is how it's accomplished. God enlightens our minds, enlightens our minds spiritually and savingly so that we understand the things of God, the cloud that is upon our minds, the nethetic effects of sin is often referred to, that is lifted so that we are now able to understand spiritually and savingly the things of God. He also takes away our hearts of stone and gives us hearts of flesh. And he renews our wills and by his almighty power turns them, from what is, uh, turns them to what is good and then effectually draws us to Jesus Christ. Do you see how this work is throughout? It's in our minds. It's in our hearts. It's in our wills. He does this work calling us from darkness to light. And the confession says that he does this in such a way that we come most freely, again, being made willing by his grace. Loved ones, it is God who began this good work in our lives. And we read that it is God who continues it. We read, secondly, God continues this work of salvation in us. We'll read again Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now what Paul is referring to here is the process of uh, sanctification. It's a process that begins at our conversion to Christ and a process that continues Uh, through our whole lives. It's a progressive work of God. It's a progressive work of God in which you and I are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness. Where you and I are more and more freed from sin, we might say, and made like Christ. Because the scriptures teach us very clearly that you and I, have been freed from the penalty and the power of sin. We saw last Sunday in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, that you and I are slaves of Christ. And this is referring to the fact that you and I are no longer slaves of sin. Sin is no longer our master. Christ is. And he leads us on to what is good and what is pleasing to him and to us. We are slaves of Christ, but we are also saints in Christ. We have been set apart from God. God has accomplished this work. As the hymn Rock of Ages says, He has granted us the double cure. He has cleansed us from sin's guilt, the penalty of sin, and its power, the dominion of sin. It has been Removed, And so on the last day, you and I have the assurance that we will be declared not guilty. We will be declared righteous. And so the power of sin has been broken so that we no longer have sin reigning in our lives, though we struggle with sin. 
It is now the Holy Spirit who reveals to us the evidence of the new life that he has brought in us. And so the regenerate Christian, the born-again Christian, cannot be content to live in sin. See, loved ones, we do struggle with sin, even besetting sins. But even these sins, we know in our heart that we can't wait to be free of them one day. They are a burden to us, aren't they? Though we commit them, you know, we are never at peace in them. Because in the life of the true Christian, there has been a radical breach with the power and the love of sin. It is no longer master over us. And so, loved ones, in very practical terms, this means that we believe two things are true about us at this very moment. On one hand, we will never in this life be able to say, I am completely free from sin. We will never be able to say that in this life. Because though sin no longer has dominion over us, we read in the scriptures that our sanctification will never be complete in this life. So the first truth is that in this life, we will never be completely free of sin. But on the other hand, you know, we must never say that a particular sin has defeated us or that a particular sin is mastering us. We must never say or, or think things like, like this. Uh, I give up. I've, I've had issues with anger all of my life, and, you know, I just realized I am never going to be able to change. Or, you know, I've, I've always been a liar, and I will just never be able to be a truthful person. Or even... I've always been a gossip. This is who I am. And, you know, people are just going to have to put up with me the way uh, that I am. See, loved ones, to say or to think this is to believe that you are still under the dominion of sin, that sin is still your master. It is to deny that Christ has accomplished something by his life, death, and resurrection and ascension, and that something being that he has broken the power of sin over us. It is to deny what the Spirit has then done in your life and in my life by enlightening our minds, by giving us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone, and by renewing our wills so that we might desire the things of God and seek after the things of God. You know, as Reformed Christians, uh, many of us, are convinced about the fact that God uh, sovereignly begins the work of salvation, our first point, that God does this sovereignly and and without our participation. But sometimes we aren't as clear or convinced about how he continues uh, this work in our lives. And, you know, this is often a result of the fact that we sometimes don't feel like we are uh, being sanctified. We so often feel like sin still has dominion over us as as we struggle in sanctification. Loved ones, this is why the Lord has given us uh, these two great assurances, as 
like bookends in our lives, we might say. The fact that he began the work of salvation and he will complete the work of salvation in our lives. These two sure bookends so that we might know that in this life, in the in-between, he has not left us alone, but he is still with us by his spirit working in us to sanctify us, to make us more and more like Christ. So we, in this life, mustn't lose heart. And we mustn't think it's all up to us. Because as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, that it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God working in us, and it is God working through the means of grace that he has provided for us in our pilgrim faith. The means of grace being his word, his word that we get to read and study and be shaped by and be taught by. And the preaching that we hear, it is through the sacraments that we receive, grace upon grace. And then prayer, where we get to go before our Father who is in heaven and not just ask for things, but thank him and glorify him uh, through our prayers. And also a Christian fellowship. that He has given us this means by which we can encourage one another in this race of faith, in this in-between time, uh, we might say. As you and I work together to sharpen one another, to build one another up, to together seek the same goal, the goal of the glory of Christ in this world. In fact, this, this pattern of Christian fellowship, our unity in the gospel is on display here in our passage. If you notice how uh, Paul says he prays for the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul says that he prays for them, but notice that he also mentions how they have encouraged him. He's showing how they have worked together to build one another up. They were partners with him in the gospel. What Paul is referring to is the fact that the church in Philippi uh, supported him financially, much like our church supports missionaries so that they can minister to people in different parts of the world. The Philippians partnered with Paul, and they supported him both spiritually and financially. They were building one another up, working together for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. So as we consider sanctification in this life, I want to encourage you uh, this morning to, uh, first of all, uh, take the long view. These are just some pastoral considerations about sanctification, that when we consider the process of sanctification, that we take the long view. And by that I mean, uh, don't uh, compare yourself to who uh, you were yesterday, but think about who you were three years ago 
five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And you will notice that it is over these long periods of time, through these means of grace and through the Holy Spirit, that you and I are being transformed into Christ's likeness from one degree of glory to the next. So take the long view. And secondly, we must understand that as we grow in our faith, loved ones, the kinds of sins that become more noticeable to us will be those inward sins, those sins of attitude, those sins of motives of our hearts. You know, so often when we begin the Christian life, we focus on our words and our deeds. We focus on those outward things, which is very good. But we know, loved ones, that sin is not only outward, but it is also inward. The sins of the heart are real sins, and we need to seek to mortify them as much as we seek to mortify those sins that reveal themselves outwardly in our words and our deeds. And thirdly, just consider the fact that as we draw closer to God in faith, you and I will see more and more of our sins and hate them more and more. You know, one of the mistakes we can make is in thinking that the more mature we become in our faith, uh, the less sin we will see in ourselves and in our lives. Loved ones, this is not always the case. Because often, the more we come to know God and His holiness the more we will see our own sinfulness. You know, it's, it's kind of like a mirror. You stand 10 feet away from a mirror. You look and you say, hey, I look pretty good, right? Then you start getting closer to that mirror. And as you get closer, you see more and more imperfections. And your opinion of yourself starts to decrease more and more. And it's the same way in our relationship with the Lord. As we draw closer to God in faith and in love, in maturity and understanding, you know, it's the more that we are going to realize how much we fall short of his glory. Consider the fact that it was in God's presence as he was closer to God that Isaiah confessed in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And then he confessed the sins of the people of Israel. And it was Job. It was Job when he was confronted by God. And he had that proximity to God. And Job said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. And I repent in dust and ashes. It was when they were closer to God that they revealed, uh, that they realized the depravity of their sinfulness. Loved ones, God began the good work of salvation in us. And by his grace, he continues to work in us by his Holy Spirit. And the scriptures also assure us that he will complete this good work. He will complete it. When? When will he complete it? Well, our sanctification for our souls 
is completed at death. And for our bodies, it will take place when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. For our souls, it will take place at death. And for our bodies, it will take place when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is what the Bible speaks about when it speaks of our glorification. In Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a summary of of what we believe as Reformed Christians, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 32, explains uh, what happens at death. After death, the bodies of men decay and return to dust, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal existence, return immediately to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous are then made perfect in holiness and received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory as they, wait, as they wait for the full redemption of their bodies. You see the fact that at death our souls are fully and finally set free from indwelling sin. And we will be made perfect. But notice in Philippians chapter 1 that Paul doesn't just speak about what happens when we die, but he's also referring specifically to the fact that he is pointing to the return of the Lord Jesus. He's speaking about the Lord's second advent. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, that he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. See, Paul is referring here to the last day. When our bodies will be raised in glory, and they will be joined with our perfected souls, and we will enter into the new heavens and the new earth. The Westminster Confession of Faith explains it this way, the bodies of the just shall be raised to honor by his spirit and brought into conformity with Christ's own glorious body. This is when he will Complete it. When we will be made like Christ, loved ones, and we will be with Christ on that last day. It's wonderful to think that the Bible assures us that you and I have been freed from the penalty and the power of sin. But the scriptures also assure us that we will one day be freed from the presence of sin. The presence of indwelling sin and the presence of sin around us as we will be in the new heavens and the new earth with Christ and with one another. And the scriptures assure us, loved ones, that he will do it. This is more sure than anything we can point to in this life. We have the assurance from the scriptures. God tells us in his word that he will do this. We also have the wonderful example of Christ who went before us, Christ who died, but who demonstrated the fact that death could not hold him just as it cannot hold his people. Christ was raised in glory, and the scriptures tell us that he is the firstfruits. He's the one who went before us. He is the sign for us of how you and I will also be raised in glory on the last day day. Loved ones, on that day, we will be raised never 
to die again. Like Christ, our mortal bodies will put on immortality. Our perishable bodies will put on the imperishable because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death has, it has been swallowed up in victory. Amen. Let us pray.